This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. All right, up next, we got Tyler Clark. Speaking of Chirp DJs, he is on Thursdays. He has the show Local Mythologies. He has done Mortified. He's going to be on the Mortified Netflix series, guys. Polymaths here at Chirp Radio. He's he's done Story Lab, Story Club. He's a legacy member of the Blue Ribbon Glee Club. Uh, Triple threat, Tyler Clark, everybody. All right, uh, this is going to sound like a, like a bad sort of like open mic night opening, but does anybody like sports out there? <laughs> like sports? All right, cool. Uh, so I like sports too, but uh, when I was growing up, I had a real um, sort of love-hate relationship with sports. Uh, I grew up in Indiana, and you know we had no shortage of sports to watch, and I was really into them. I loved watching Notre Dame football with my mom and my grandma. Uh, I loved listening to the uh, Indy 500 on the radio, but for as much as I loved all of that, I also had like real big problems with like some of the foundational aspects of sports, specifically the fact uh, that they ended. Uh, I had like I had some real problems with the you know just the the idea of like the finality of sports and of like sports careers. I remember uh, crying, sort of. Uh, lusty tears when, uh, for instance, uh, Tim Brown had his last home game at Notre Dame Stadium uh, or when Rick Mears raced his last Indy 500. But I will say that no sporting event turned on the waterworks for me quite like the Olympics. Now, you guys, I fucking love the Olympics. This, yeah, let's give it up for the Olympics, you guys. This is still true. I still love the Olympics, and I love them even more as a kid. See, when I was growing up, uh, thanks to a quirk in the Olympic scheduling philosophy, uh, we had an extra Olympics back in 1994. There was that extra Winter Olympics, uh, which was super rad because that gave me a chance to sort of participate in the Olympics uh, cultural exchanges and feats of athleticism and, like, sick figure skating tricks. Um, But it also gave me extra opportunities to just weep openly at the closing ceremonies. I just, I hated them. I hated the Olympic closing ceremonies. To me, they represented everything that was wrong in the world. They took this sort of magical wonderland of international cooperation and and sort of feats of daring do, and they presented it, and then they, they snatched it away, and it was gone, and the flame went out in the cauldron, and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it as much as I loved sort of everything else about the Olympics. And so... Um, after what I like to call the tears of Lillehammer, I decided that I was going to take matters into my own hands. Um, it started small. Uh, for the 1994 World Cup, I uh, distinctly remember making a scrapbook of newspaper clippings about all of the soccer matches, despite never actually watching one of them 
um, in its entirety. Uh, but I was just that obsessed with finding a way to like keep this magic going because that's what I thought it was. It was it felt like magic, and so by two years later, uh, I thought that I had a pretty good plan for making my dream of this never-ending sporting event into a reality. Uh, the summer uh, of 1996, I was 12, and the Olympics were uh, held in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't know if anybody remembers vividly the uh, Atlanta Olympics like I do, but man, uh, I was amped. I was like so excited because the Olympics were in America. They were so close. It was like the right time zone kind of thing. There was no tape delay. It was all going to be there for the, the, the watching and the experiencing and the loving. And this time, this time, I wasn't going to let it get away uh, so easy. I'd cried at all those other previous closing ceremonies, but at this time I was determined not to, so I decided I was going to hatch what I thought was a pretty ingenious plan. You guys. I was going to videotape the entire Olympics. Seriously, uh, when most people talk about their Olympic dreams, you know, that usually involves like their own personal athleticism. But when I was 12, I looked a lot like I do now. <laughs> and even then that made me a realist. Like I knew that, that like I was never going to like win a gold medal in the breaststroke, but I did know that I had some certain talents uh, that made it likely that I might be able to snag one for cleverest use of a VCR as a coping mechanism by a preteen. Um, and that was mainly, I, I had obsession uh, and I had no friends. So uh, that was like, I was primed to make this happen. I was primed to record the entire 1996 Olympics and have them forever and ever. I would also like to point out really quickly um, that uh, if this story had taken place at any point after 1999, which is when TiVo came out, um, this whole process would have taken about four minutes and we would have no story right now. Uh, but we didn't. It was 96 and so it was before that and I had the best plan uh, on the block. Now, I will say that my obsession with the Olympics that summer was probably masking... Uh, some other pr pretty serious stuff in my life. 1996 was also the year uh, that my parents got divorced. And although that eventually worked out pr pretty well for everyone involved, uh, it was still a rough time uh, in the moment. And I, and I think that's why, and, uh, and I'll, I'll love her for this forever, I think that's why my mom was so into making this stupid dream of mine come true because for that entire summer for that entire like the lead up to this and the entire like two weeks of the olympics she just fucking yes anded like every like dumbass idea and demand that i had uh including buying like 45 vhs tapes which even in 1996 were not cheap uh, also securing uh uninterrupted use of not one but two vcrs in my grandmother's house and buying uh, a copy and a backup copy of the TV guide featuring the entire Olympic schedule with Olympic gold medalist Janet Evans on the cover. Yeah, let's give it up for Janet Evans, everybody. Come on. Yeah. That's talent. Because, you know, like, 
we had like the digital like TV guide channel by that point, but like I fucking knew that like if some shit went down at like HQ and that went on the fritz and I needed to know when the judo semifinals were like, I was going to have that shit like backed up and then backed up again. Like that was, it was not a question. Uh, so, you know, usually I feel like in these stories, a lot of times first dream stuff, uh, involves a lot of drama and involves some sort of, uh, you know, overcoming of the odds to sort of get to where you want to be. Not for me, man, though. I was 100% successful. I taped every, taped every fucking minute of those Olympics. Like I said, obsession and no friends, that's a powerful fucking combo, you guys. From July 19th to August 4th, I captured every minute of NBC's coverage. Muhammad Ali at the opening ceremonies, I got it. Carrie Strug and that like ankle spraining gold medal vault that she did, I got it. Michael Johnson setting the world record in the 200 meter, I got it. Carl Lewis, I got it. I got it all. I got it all. And uh, you know, the only moment of doubt that I had at all in this whole process that I can remember, I think there was like one night where there was a moment where we were out at like a family dinner and I had this horrible vision. I was like, oh my God, did I forget to set the timer on the VCR and am I gonna miss the like Dream Team 2 versus Spain basketball semifinal and throw this whole project into jeopardy? And again, my mom, was a hero because we were out with our, with, with like our family, her family on her side, who were probably like in town. They were in from out of town. They were probably in town like checking on her to make sure she was okay like after this like interpersonal upheaval that had been going on for the whole year. But she paid that no mind. She like paid the check early, left early, drove me home, made sure we had the VCR set. Everything was great. Everything was successful. I didn't miss a minute of these Olympics. I didn't even let the Olympic Park bombing, which was an actual terrorist event, <laughs> upset my taping schedule. I got it all. And you know what? When those closing ceremonies came around, I didn't shed one fucking tear. <laughs> you know why? Because I won, goddammit. So I did it. I got the Olympics. Got the whole Olympics. I achieved my dream. Um, so here's the, the one thing that they didn't uh, tell me at the time and that I wouldn't learn until years later. Uh, it turns out that uh, the dreams you have when you're 12 um, are kind of stupid. <laughs> um, so that was a hard thing to realize because like, so I did it, like I had all these tapes, I had successfully preserved the games and, and mitigated the like fear of athletic abandonment that had crippled me for all previous Olympics, but now, what did I do with them? You know, I had like 45 VHS tapes, which I don't know the last time you like saw 45 VHS tapes, that's a lot of VHS tapes, like, even for like by 1996 standards, that's a lot of VHS tapes to just have like hanging out. 
and I mean, like, I watched them while I was taping them, so it wasn't like I was like, oh, gotta catch up, you know, like, no, I was caught up. And, and again, like, you know, I, like, like I mentioned, I didn't have many friends at this point, so, like, I was going into sixth grade, and, and even again at 12, I knew that, like, uh, like uh, t striking up a conversation with a fellow sixth grader, it was not going to be successful to be like, so, did you see Shannon Miller win the gold on the balance beam this summer? You want to see it again? <laughs> so, over the next few years, like, I did something that I am honestly still uh, not very proud of. I taped over the Olympics. Yeah, I, um, you know, it started out just like I was like one or two tapes, you know, like there was another thing that I wanted to like capture on TV. Maybe it was like Groundhog Day on TBS or, you know, maybe it was like the premiere of Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. And I was just like one or two tapes. That'll be fine. Uh, but it turns out one or two tapes turns into 45 very, uh, very easily. Um, and for a long time, I thought that I had actually gotten rid of all of them, uh, sort of by a combination of like accident and hubris. Um, but then a few years ago, my mom moved and uh, I inherited all of our old uh, family VHS collection. And after a couple weeks of searching in my apartment here in Chicago, I have a VCR still, just so you know. Uh, uh, after a couple weeks of searching, I found it. The one remaining Olympic tape. And it's right here. So I watched a little bit of it again uh, before I came to the show tonight. Uh, it turns out it's from the morning of July 26th which was the day before the Olympic Park bombing, and it was like right in the middle of the games. It was the last day of swimming, and it was the first day of track and field. So really, if you could only have one tape, like that's the perfect tape, right? Like you're getting, you're really getting a lot of bang for your buck on that tape. Um, and so there's a lot of like commentary. There's like Greg Gumbel looks great. He just looks so young and, and vital. And, and all the swimming commentators are like the same people they have now. I don't know how they just don't age. Um, and so they're going back and forth between those. And, and in between, there's like great commercials for a bunch of products that you forgot existed. Um, like, for instance, who in here remembers uh, MCI's Friends and Family Plan? Yeah. Yeah. There's that great commercial with Whoopi Goldberg in the biplane, like telling everyone, flying across the United States like a barnstormer, telling everyone about long distance calling. Um, so what I'm saying is this, this tape is a triumph in more ways than one. Um, but I think that if only one tape could have survived from my uh, obsessive Olympic summer, I'm glad it's this one. Because, you know, its contents, I think, represent my ideal state. I think it was the one that I lost during my parents' divorce, and it was also the one that I spent a lot of years trying to find again. Uh, you know, it, it's not at the anxious beginning uh, or at the uncertain end, but it's right in the comfortable middle, blissfully sort of unaware of any looming disaster that might come along and set the whole thing off course. Um, the tape itself, of course, is old and obsolete. The tracking on it is horrendous. Um, I wouldn't recommend it uh, to really probably anybody, but it's also a great physical reminder to me that dreams are useful, even when they're really, really dumb. 
They get you through the hard times sometimes. They give you something to do. And sometimes they even bring you closer together with your family. Even though I don't watch it much, and I probably won't again, uh, I'm definitely not going to get rid of it. You know, because it may not be a gold medal. But for me, I think it's close enough. Thanks.
You've been listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Tyler Clark, and The First Time 4 performed The Olympic Theme by Lee Arnaud and John Williams. The First Time 4 is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series' website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. You can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.